0: eko nei purangi tēnei nā
1: te reo irirangi o Aotearoa mihi nui. I'm Alison Balance and welcome to this Hour Changing World podcast from RNZ University of Otago student Joel Sports did a linguistics degree before taking on another degree in science communication He has a fascinating tale of a talking tui for us
0: E koi koi te tui, e kete kete te kaka, e kuku te keredu. Ko Joel Swartz tōku ingoa. maiki ki tangata. Have a listen to this guy.
1: And now woof Come up here. And now woof
0: What if I told you that wasn't a guy you were listening to, it was a bird? To be precise, it's a tui called Woof Woof, who lived in the Native Bird Recovery Centre in Whangarei. Robert Webb, who co founded the centre in 1992 with his wife Robin, was kind enough to talk to me from Whangarei. And you might find when you listen to Robert's voice that it sounds a bit familiar. I started by asking him if he'd ever come across a talking tui before he met Woof Woof.
1: No, I hadn't heard of one, like, hadn't heard of one in modern day times. What I did know was that in. Some of the old Maori books and legends and that sort of thing, apparently it wasn't unusual for them to have a tui in a cage made like out of rata vines and that. They learned him how to talk.
0: And how did you come to meet Woof Woof?
1: Oh, he came in as a little baby. He was about um, eight days old when we got him. Fell out of a nest in a huge storm. The nest fell apart and he fell down onto the ground. So we uh, had to hand rear him.
0: And what was the first time that you heard Woof Woof talking?
1: I was cleaning in the Avery out there, and all of a sudden, this voice said, as clear as a bell, hello, Woof Woof. <laughs> and I thought, what the hell's that? And I thought, oh, it must be somebody joking with me, because at that time, where we've got a, a little flower garden island with a water feature in it and that sort of thing, that used to be just a big heap of dirt. And I thought, somebody's hiding behind that, (laughs) and said that to me. So I thought, well, if I look at the tui and somebody sticks their head up, the bird will look in that direction. But while I was looking at him and he was looking at me, all of a sudden he turned around and he said again. So I don't know where he got the word woof-woof from.
0: I asked Robert about the origins of another of woof-woof's utterances. Where's the
1: carcarythines? You know, when we'd walk in there, we had a couple of uh, uh, Red Crown, um, the Kakarikis. We had a couple of those in there that we were recovering, getting ready to go back out in the wild. So I'd go in there and, hello, Kakarikis. So within no time at all, you'd be inside and you'd hear him outside. He'd be saying, hello, Kakarikis, because they were right next to him. So he picked up that that's who they were. And then... The day come to send the kakarikis back out into the wild, and for about oh, four or five days after, Woof Woof would ask every day, where are the kakarikis?
0: Really? So when I, I've got the recording of him saying, where's the kakarikis? And I, yep. I presume that you'd taught him to say that.
1: No, no. No, definitely not. Where's the kakarikis?
0: So to find out more about how Woof Woof did his talking, I needed to talk to an expert. Dr. Sam Hill has done a PhD at Massey University in song complexity and song variation in songbirds. So he sounded like a good person to talk to. Something I'd heard from various sources was that TUI have two voice boxes. Now, a small amount of research shows that's not quite true. They have a thing called a syrinx which is situated just below where the trachea or windpipe splits into two bronchi. I started by asking Dr Sam Hill about the difference between a human larynx and a bird's syrinx. Yes.
2: Yeah, so the, interestingly recent research suggests that the, um, though the larynx and the syrinx are highly morphologically distinct they actually produce sound in quite similar ways and it's a system that's called the mead system mead it stands for Myoelastic aerodynamic mechanism of sound production so the larynx is made of uh, vo- vocal folds or what we call vocal cords and they produce sound by vibrations when air passes against them it causes the vocal folds to vibrate and this is what produces the sound and they um they can be lengthened and contracted and made tighter and things like that, and that's what produces a different sound but in the bird's syrinx, they lack these vocal folds, lo- lack these vocal cords. And they have uh, a series of membranes, one of which is called the tympanic membrane. And so similarly to the larynx, it's called, the sound is produced by air passing against this tympanic membrane, causing vibrations.
0: Then Sam described the upshot of having the two bronchi coming into the syrinx.
2: In one half of the syrinx there could be lots of air being pushed in and lots of sounds being made in that one and on the other one there could be um no air being pushed into it at all and it can actually breathe through one side whilst singing using the other side of the syrinx as well and the other thing about it is that the syrinx is uh, controlled by a series of muscles and these muscles uh, control the tautness of the of the tympanic membrane and this is another factor that allows it to, to produce lots of different sounds. And, this is, and so, so its ability to create lots of different sounds at the same time simultaneously is called uh, lateralization of birdsong or birdsong lateralization.
0: This music is called Syrinx. It's by Debussy and it's 105 years old. It's not named after a bird's voice box, though. In fact, the bird's syrinx is named after the Greek word for panpipes. I was still curious about how a tui, without the same dimensions of mouth and tongue that we have, could so accurately mimic the vowel sounds of human speech, when it seems like, Our mouths and tongues are so important in making those sounds. So I spoke with Dr. Hunter Hatfield from Otago University's Linguistics Department. We're sitting in his office looking at his computer screen at a spectrogram of woof-woof speech. I started by asking Hunter, what is a spectrogram?
3: It's a uh, representation of sound in, I'd say, three dimensions, really. Uh, on one side, you have you know, the, the timeline, so just how the speech progresses through time. Uh, and one dimension, you have um, the frequency, so what uh, frequencies are that's being produced by the bird. And then and the third dimension, the one that sort of comes out at you, uh, the Z axis, um, is how loud things are. So basically what you see on there is the frequencies that are loud at
0: different times. So what we see is three distinct bands of energy at, at three distinct frequencies. Now that looks pretty much like what we'd see in the spectrogram of a human voice, doesn't it?
3: Yes, it really does. I was surprised because I haven't looked at uh, bird speech uh, in spectrograms before, um, but very much so. It looks just like a uh, human would, at least in the vowels. The vowels are the very clear part.
0: So the mystery is, if we haven't got this lateralization in, in our vocal apparatus, we've only got one set of vocal cords that can vibrate at one frequency at a time. How, how do we make those different frequencies?
3: Well, the secret, I guess, I would say is really the head. Your head on top of your vocal folds. Um, so as vocal cords, can do a lot more than people realize. Obviously they can vibrate, which is, ah. Uh, you can also be very quiet, which is what you do when you whisper. So that's voiceless. <sighs> But actually more complex than that, and used in lots of languages, you can make it creaky like this. And you can make it breathy, so it's kind of voiced, kind of breathy at the same time. Um, But none of that's really how you're doing the big bands that we're seeing. Instead, the way you do that is with your tongue and your lips. Uh, Whenever you send your vibration, the vibrated air through your head, through your mouth mostly, um, you can reshape how it resonates inside there, just like you can just the way that um a ukulele sounds different from a uh, piano or from a guitar you get different resonances as you as you go
0: right so so is that what uh is called harmonic frequencies if you know a bit of acoustics
3: i do um yes it is <laughs> yeah i'm
0: not asking whether you do <laughs> uh
3: right yeah so whenever you send your basic pitch that was called the fundamental frequency that's what you think of as having a high voice or a low voice so uh that pitch, say 75 hertz or so, uh, will repeat in harmonics uh, The scale up. And that provides sort of a, a big wave of different possible frequencies. And then what you do when you speak is that you move your tongue and your lips around to reshape those. So if I move my tongue um, quite forward, I'll get one pattern of harmonics that are emphasized and therefore very loud. And if I move it back, I'll get a different uh, set of harmonics. So moving my tongue forward and back and my jaw up and down is how I'm controlling those frequencies. The way I like to think of the, um, the bands is really there's sort of three key landmarks. Uh, and those are the vowels for us, E, A, and U. And for instance, in, you know, where's the, is co- it Kakariki? Mm-hmm. Uh, from um, Woof Woof, he's using A and E, which are really clear to hear. And uh, with E, that's, um, with your tongue as far front and as far high as it can go um, you ha- what happens there is you get the biggest possible separation between those frequency bands between those formants uh, and that's a really distinct vowel and almost every language in the world has an E and with an oo vowel uh, those formants come really close together, so that's high and back but they're really close together at the bottom of your of the range that's possible and then ah is basically in the middle. They're close together, but in the middle of stuff. That's that's, that's sort of the shaping of things. And uh, you can see them very clearly with uh, the k- re-vowel in uh, Wolf, Wolf Spectrogram. Those frequencies are completely wide apart, and they're just in the same range I would
0: expect for a human. Right. But the curious thing is that a tui doesn't have that head shape to make those to make those harmonic frequencies so presumably it's doing it with its lateralization and and uh, making a different formant with a different membrane and it's its syrinx
3: yes i think so (laughs) um right so instead of changing one way to think about what happens with your tongue when you move it front and back is that like your throat functions as one tube one bit to resonate and then the rest of your mouth from your lips back to your throat functions as a second so the same way that uh, woof woof can have two different frequencies by having um you know in the larynx we're having two different harmonics or two different uh, patterns or frequencies with how big and how long those two tubes in our head are Mm. so it's a different way to accomplish the same task
0: like Hunter said and he did say larynx instead of syrinx there but the point still stands two different methods using two different instruments to produce the same sound but in the case of wolf wolf versus a human voice there's a bigger difference between the two instruments than between a guitar and a banjo when we hear a vowel sound though there are two formant frequencies there as Hunter was talking about that's not really what we hear. We imagine a tongue position that the speaker used to make those frequencies and where we would put our tongues to reproduce that sound. When Woof Woof heard a vowel sound, he would hear the two frequencies and use lateralization in his syrinx, as Sam described, to reproduce them with separate vibrations. Although Woof Woof died in 2011, at the age of sixteen. There are two other Tui who lived in close proximity to him, who've picked up many of his phrases. So if you're in the vicinity of Whangarei, head to the Native Bird Recovery Centre and check them out. Robert and Robin would love to have you. Thanks for listening, Kaki Tiano Kiora Joel that was
1: University of Otago science communication student Joel Sports, and he was talking to Robert Webb from the Whangarei Native Bird Recovery Centre, who rescued Woof Woof. Massey University's Sam Hill and Hunter Hatfield from the University of Otago's linguistics department. I'm Alison Balance. Bye for now. Matewa. wa.